0: Amen. What a great day we've had so far, and it's really good to have our daycare staff with us, and we're thrilled that you're here. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4. I want to jump right in today. Um, I I will uh, tentatively promise to get you out of here at 12 o'clock. Don't hold me to it, but I'm proud to get you there. And I'm not going to read the whole passage like I often do because um, it'll take too long. We're going to cover... A sweeping passage today. John chapter 4 verses 1 through 26. Let me give you a little background about this. And then we'll jump into it. And I'll read it. Um, I'll read. What I'll do is I'll read each passage. Uh, each section as we go. So we'll talk about it. And that way I won't take a lot of time. But I want you to recognize. Uh, the significance of this event. I want you to see. Uh, what's happening here. That Jesus. Jesus. God in the flesh has come to earth and he goes to a town that no respectable Jewish person would have ever gone and he sits down and he has a conversation with a woman that no respectable Jewish person would have ever done and he shares with her the message of truth he shows us the power of the gospel He shows us how strong it is. I don't, I don't want you to lose track of that in here. That this message shows us that God is so powerful. And that He'll cross any barrier. He'll overcome any obstacle. He won't stop for anything. He, He will literally pursue us until He finds us. Let me pray with us before we start. Normally I read and then pray, but we're just going to pray over God's word. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for its power. And we thank you that you have given it to us, not to just read, but to apply to our lives. Lord, let us be faithful to this text today. Let us be faithful to your spirit, to your work. Do not let us miss the majesty of this moment. Of what you have done for us here. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Um, I want to uh, let you know. And you probably remember. It's the 15th of our messages on John. Uh, this is the second encounter that Jesus has had with a person concerning salvation. Here are some comparisons with this uh, encounter and the one with Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus was seeking God. Uh, this woman was indifferent to God. She had no desire. All she wanted is to get some water out of the well. Uh, Nicodemus was a respected ruler of the Jewish people. And the Samaritan woman is a nobody. An outcast. Uh, he, Nicodemus was serious. The woman was flippant. Uh, the, Nicodemus was a respected Jewish person. Held in high esteem by a lot of people. This woman had no status at all. He was uh, presumably moral. She was immoral He was very orthodox Traditional He was dyed in the wool Jewish man She was of a faith That the Jews had contempt for He was learned About all things of the Bible And scripture She had very little knowledge But what A powerful Message she would proclaim Because of this Um, They both needed Christ. And so all of us in here, we need Christ. Whether we know it, whether we have him now, whether we've had him for years, we need Christ day to day. We need him in our life. So in this passage, we have a picture of what it is like to meet God in the flesh. Let me read the first verses and I'm going to talk first about that our gospel, the gospel overcomes our own weariness and our prejudices. So I'm going to read verses one through nine with you. And when Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had traveled through Samaria. So he, le- Came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about twelve noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. For his disciples had gone to town to buy food. How is it? That you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, the Samaritan woman, she asked him. A Samaritan woman. For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Let me let me give you a picture here. Uh, Jesus was traveling. We have a map, and I want to show you this. I don't often show maps because it's kind of hard. But if you see Jerusalem down in the bottom of the map, Jesus had been traveling from the region of Judea and Jerusalem. And he traveled. You see the little green ball And the maze of technology that we can do that. And he traveled on the way to Galilee in the north. He stopped in this little city of Sychar. That's where he stopped. He went by all accounts the most direct route. That's the way that you would go. I want to remind you that people are not walking, are not riding a bus or riding a car. They are walking. So they would go the most direct route. You would think that's what Jesus did. He went from Jerusalem to Sychar by the direct route. Most Jewish people would never go through Sychar. They would never go through Samaria. Look at the route they would take. They would travel to a region called Perea and, and avoid Samaria if at all possible. Because they so dislike those people. Have you ever disliked somebody that you would drive to another state so you wouldn't have to go through their city? That's how bad the Jews disliked the Samaritans. And so that's a remarkable part of this story. You probably say, well, what's the deal about the Samaritans? What's all their problem? Well, their problem is that when all of the Jewish people were carted away from Assyria in 727 BC. And they stayed in captivity there. When they returned from captivity... The Assyrians not only sent the Jews back, but they sent a bunch of other folks back with them to pollute and to change the genealogy of the Jews. That was a way of really conquering a country. And so these people settled in Samaria, north of what would be known as the land of Judah, Judea, and what would be the former land of Israel. And so they lived there. And not only did they were they ethnically different, they looked different, they were a different race, but they spoke uh, a different language of their faith. Uh, they had the same scriptures, but the Samaritans took the first five books of the Bible only and used those. And they didn't adhere to the Ten Commandments the way the Jews did. So the Jews considered them outcast. They considered them completely lost. They considered all of their customs uh, heretical. They were the worst of the worst. If you wanted to really insult somebody, you would call them... If you were a Jewish person in the day of Jesus, you would call them a Samaritan. They were the lowest of the low. They were the worst people in the eyes of a Jew. The, if... If a Jewish person encountered a Samaritan person, the Pharisees would walk across the street to avoid them. Well here you can see they traveled to another country to avoid them. If you, a Samaritan, offered a Jewish person water who was thirsty, they would throw the water on the ground because they didn't want it from you. If you brought food for them, they would throw the food on the ground. They wouldn't eat it. I'm telling you, there was a rift deeper than anything that we've ever seen in our country. The, these people despised each other. There was a deep rift. It was there were some grounds. It, it, it was okay uh, uh, about the religion. They just they certainly had some problems with religion, but it went far deeper. And so I want you to know what Jesus did. Oh, by the way, this land is Jacob's well. Jacob uh, dug this well. It, you can go to Sychar and see the well today, I understand, and it's about 100 feet deep. It's supposed to be one of the deepest wells in all of, Syri- uh, all of Israel. And so this was a well. Um, I told you, uh, if you were reading along with us in the Holman uh, Christian Standard Bible that I read, uh, if you you would notice when I gave you the time, I changed the time. <laughs> uh, actually, the Holman Christian Standard so it was about 6 in the evening, uh, most scholars would say that it was at 12 noon because here's what happened. You probably have a translation that would say the Bible, uh, the, the, your Bible probably says it was in the sixth hour. The Jews didn't have a clock. I mean, nobody of that day had a clock. They, nobody had a timepiece. You couldn't go and say, well, we've got to go downtown and see what time it is. The time was based on where the sun was and the Jews measured the daylight by What time the sun came up? So about six in the morning would be zero hour. That would be daylight. And the sixth hour would be when the sun is at its highest. Would be about noon. And then the twelfth hour would be when the sun is at its lowest. And they didn't count time after midnight except they counted watches. And the Romans counted four, three watches during the night. And the Jews counted four. So they didn't need a time at night because everybody was going to bed when the sun went down. There was nothing else to do. And so in this translation, in the way that we look at the scriptures, the way John is talking to us, six, the sixth hour would be 12 noon. So Jesus sends his disciples into town to buy food. Now, this is a great story because... As I told you, no Jew would ever eat food that they bought in Samaria. But Jesus sent his guys over there to buy food and said, come back and we'll have a meal. And so he walks into the well, goes and sits down. And the hottest part of the day, this Samaritan woman comes up to draw water. And of course, if we understand the background, because she wasn't a person of of good morals, she would come when the fewest people would be at the well and... She would run into nobody because she didn't want to get even her own people, uh, into a tangle with them. So she would come in the hot part of the day because nobody went in the hot part of the day. It might be 120 degrees out there. And so she went there to the well and there to her surprise, not only is there a man, there's a Jewish man sitting there. And so we have, we have the seeds. Of conflict, I, I want you to know something here. Going to Samaria was no accident. G, Jesus didn't just get lost. He he didn't just decide that he was going to do this. This this is God. This is a predetermined plan for God. I, I I want you to know how that works. That that when you're tired and weary, God's still working. Jesus was worn out. The Bible says he was tired. He, you know, here, here we have God in the flesh who created the whole world. John said, all things were created through him. Not one thing was created without him. And here's Jesus as God. And here's Jesus in the flesh who traveled to Sychar and sat down at a well. And he's thirsty and hot because he is every bit God and he's every bit human and he's weary. He needs to drink water. But he used his weariness. I, I I key on this weariness in my point because um, a lot of times when I get tired, I, the gospel is is hard for me. I mean, it just it's hard to think about uh, when when you're weary. But Jesus, when he when he was weary, he was using that as an opportunity. He's using his pre- the prejudices that other people have a- as an opportunity. Nobody would have faulted Jesus for moving on and never stopping here. Nobody would have, would have thought a second thought about him. In fact, in fact, later people would wonder why he did stuff like this. He was no respecter of persons. He he loved people and cared for people. I'm going to tell you, he saw in these Samaritans, he saw worth in them that nobody else saw. And when he looks at us, he doesn't care what our background is or where we came from or what we do or what we've done in the past. He finds worth and he loves us and he cares for us. That's a message that we have to see in the gospel. And I want to encourage you, church, whatever you do. Whatever adjustments you have to make in your life and however you have to, you have to pray about and deal with it. What, whatever barrier that separates from us from other people. Uh, years ago when I was in service, um, I was flying somewhere. I was, I think I was a major then and so we had two general officers. We were flying on a military plane and there were two general officers on the plane. Now majors don't go and talk to generals. You just don't do that. And uh, I wasn't planning to do that. I was going to sleep. We were flying uh, out west somewhere, and I, my friend I was traveling with got to talking to one of the generals, which he shouldn't have been doing. And and I had no intention of talking to the general. And he told him, he said, "Jim over here is a preacher." <laughs> so so my so the general says, "What kind of preacher are you?" And I said, "Well, I'm a Southern Baptist preacher." And he said, well, tell me what a Southern Baptist believe. <laughs> I said, well, well, sir, we believe in the Bible. And, and I, I went, I went through and talked to him for a few minutes and when we got off the plane. My friend said to me, he says, see there, I gave you an opportunity to talk to a general about Jesus. <laughs> I would never have done that on my own, but I'm going to tell you. Because it was a barrier to me. I just wouldn't gone up and talk to him. And I know there are people that you won't talk to either. And I know that there are people that you're uncomfortable with. And there are people that, that, but the gospel has no barriers. Jesus went to a person that no Jewish person would have ever had anything to do with. And he sat down with her and he had a conversation with her. I, I love that. I, I, I just, I can't imagine seeing that. Hot, Dusty, tired, thirsty And he meets a woman That nobody would But Disregard the fact They wouldn't even talk to a woman They would never talk to a Samaritan woman Jesus overcomes Any barrier With the gospel I want you to see that Alright, number two The gospel overcomes Our real thirst You, you may not know it the people, the woman there didn't know that she was really thirsty. In fact, I want you to just remember that now this woman was the one that was thirsty. I mean, Jesus was the one that was thirsty, but we're going to be talking about her thirst. Listen to this in verses 10 through 15. In response to, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She said to him, and Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, the woman says, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. And where do you get this living water? You are, you aren't greater than our father Jacob. Are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as he has his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everybody who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. Boy, isn't that great? In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Jesus said... If you knew the gift of God, you know what? That's what he's getting ready to offer her, the gift of God. He's getting ready to tell her the gift of God is salvation. And that's a gift. You don't bargain with God about salvation. You you don't say like, well, I'll, I'll pay you this for it. It's a gift of God. Jesus said, if you knew what you were asking for, if you knew who I am, if you just knew, I, I love that. Because here is this Samaritan woman who never would have a Jew and the very Son of God is sitting right in front of her. How about that? Offering her water that will spring up and she will never get thirsty again. Now now this well they had was real deep. Jacob had dug it. It was a well that had been respected and the people had loved and adored. It It was a well that had... A, a a spring that, that flowed through it. So it always had water in it. You can go there today and it was a hundred foot. Well, so you got to have a rope a hundred foot long to get into it. Jesus said, the lady says to Jesus, how are you going to get any water? You don't have a bucket. I mean, literally visitors had to carry a leather bucket with a rope on it in order to get water out of the well, because people weren't just going to give you a bucket to get water with. And she says, you're not going to get any water because you don't have a bucket. And Jesus says, oh, we're not, we're not even worried about the water. Let me tell you what you can have here. Let me tell you what the offer is. I, I The gospel, Jesus will overcome the real thirst that we have. Every one of us come in here that, that we thirst for this. We need this. We, we have to have what Jesus is offering. Sometimes we don't even know we need it. But he was offering, or water, living water, as he would say. This, whoever drinks this water will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water that Christ would offer us through salvation will bubble up into our life, flow into our life. And then he says, it becomes a well of water springing up for eternal life. That's the gift that Christ was offering. He just wanted to drink. She just thought give me some of this i'm in if you can give me water that i don't have to drink um, i'm all for it and that's what she says she says in verse 15 she says sir the woman said to him give me this water so i won't get thirsty and come here and have to draw water again she she kind of got it she thought it was interesting i i want to hear the rest of it give me whatever you have It's okay to come to Christ and question. A lot of people say to me, you know, I I believe in Jesus, but I have so many questions. Let let me tell you, Christ is bigger than any of your questions. The word of God is more powerful than anything that you doubt or wonder about. He's heard it all. He understands you far better than you do. You can come to Christ with your questions. You can come to him with your need. You can come to him. When, when you have nothing, because the gospel is that powerful, it's it's literally a gift of God. Number three, the gospel the gospel overcomes our failures. So now we really get down to the story here. The, she's interested in the water. Jesus is God. He goes right to her heart. Okay, he says, "Go call your husband." He told her, "And come back here. Bring bring your husband back." And of course she says I don't have a husband She answered Oh you have correctly said (laughs) I don't have a husband Jesus said for you have Had five husbands And the man that you now have Is not your husband What you have told me is true She's guilty Isn't she She's gone to Christ She didn't know that She's standing right before God uh, he asked her, so go get your husband. So well, I don't really have a husband. That, that's a half truth we call that. Yeah, she didn't really technically have a husband. She had had five before and she had a man now. It wasn't her husband. She's She's immoral by Samaritan standards. She's way out. And Jesus called her on it. Let, let me tell you something. That could be me. I imagine that could be you. I imagine when you lay your sins down before Christ, there are some things that you don't really want to admit to. But I want you to know he already knows them. He already knows what you're going to say. He already knows what you're not going to say. He already knows your thoughts and your intentions and your plans and your schemes. And you know what church? He still loves you. I love this story. Because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter that nobody else likes you or nobody else cares for you. He loves you. He knows exactly who you are. He knows you better than you know yourself. So when he says, go bring your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Oh, right. I know all about you, lady. And I love you still. That's a great story. I want you to know the gospel defeats any of our failures. There, there's people all the time that will say, you know, I, I've just done too much. I can't, I can't be around those people. I've done this. I, I'm involved in this or I'm involved in that or I've, I've had that, this kind of thing going on my life. Church people don't want to have anything. Let me tell you, Jesus knows you and he desires you to come to him. He wants you to come just like you are. That's, that's all. That's simple. Number four. The gospel overcomes our traditions. Verses 19 through 26. Sir, the woman replied, I see you're a prophet. Oh, she sees he's a prophet. Yeah, because he saw into her whole life. She recognizes something's going on with this guy. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Yet the Jews, you Jews say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So you see what happened is she says, yeah, you're a prophet, but I'm not really sure where you're from because we Samaritans, we worship here on Mount Gerizim because that's where we're supposed to worship. And you Jews say their true place to worship is only in Jerusalem. If you don't worship in Jerusalem, you're not really worshiping. So you have to worship in one of these two places. So there's a big disconnect and I don't really follow you. Jesus says he told her in verse 21, believe me, woman, that's not a bad thing. It's a, it's, it's respectful, ma'am. An hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Here's what Jesus is saying. You guys got your system? That's what you do. The Jews have got their system and it's a better system because it's based on what God told them to do. But it's not a perfect system either. And he says, lady, it won't be long and we're going to throw both these systems out. Neither one of them are going to work. It won't matter where you worship. It won't matter. You don't need a temple. You don't need a mountain. You don't need a You don't need a law. You don't need a ceremony. You don't need a priest because he says the real people are going to worship in spirit and truth. That means they're going to worship in their heart. That when you and I come here to worship, we don't worship because AJ plays pretty music and we have a nice place and you like everybody that we come here in our heart to worship because God knows our heart. If you come in here thinking about what you're going to do tomorrow at work, or you think about all the things you're going to do. If Carolina wins today, you're God knows all that. He sees right. You might have the best clothes on, pretty hairdo, all these great things. And God sees right through you because you worship him in spirit and in truth. You you see, we have to worship with our heart and we have to worship in truth. That means we have to worship by God's word. So Jesus says, we're getting ready to change the whole system. The traditions of the old. You know, our church, I'm so proud of you because you're a people that's willing to change. You, You haven't married traditions. And I I know we have traditions and I respect our traditions here. And sometimes we've got to change things. The Southern Baptist lifeway, uh, Dr. Ed Stetzer says, he says that, uh, that so many Southern Baptist churches, if the 1950s or the 1960s comes back, he says, we've got a bunch of churches that are just ready to live again. (laughs) But he said, they're not prepared to minister in the future, but I'm really thankful for you guys because you are. And, you, and you're, we're, we're trying to adjust and we're trying to make changes, not, not just to make changes and not just to do things differently, but so that we can reach people that are lost. Jesus says, we got to change all this stuff that's going on. It's got to all be different. We've got to worship him in spirit and truth. That's a powerful statement. Listen to what he says. He says that God is spirit. God is spirit. This, this is a biblical definition of God. In other words, you can't put your arms around God. Jesus said, God is spirit. He's, he's so big. He's so powerful. He, he's so all knowing. He's so all doing. He sees into everything. You can't possibly put your arms around God. God is spirit. We just have to come humbly. We can't put God inside a church and say, this is where God is. Colossians said that Jesus is the image Of the invisible God. We can't see God because he's invisible. But we can see Jesus and that's what he's like. And then First Timothy 1 says. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. God is so big. Jesus said we're going to worship him in spirit and truth. It's all going to be different. So all these things that used to be, it all comes down to that. And I'll tell you, church, here at First Baptist Church, Walnut Cove, the thing that endures for the future is that we're going to worship God in spirit and truth. That's what's constant. And all the other things, all the other trappings, all that will preach his word, will we'll proclaim his word, will come here with humble hearts to try to hear him and listen. You don't have to come here. Now, I encourage you. I'm glad we have a church full of people. I'm glad you're here. But, but you know, you can worship God in your home. You can worship God in your own place. You can worship Him in spirit and truth right where you are. And I, and I'm not saying that so you don't ever come back. I hope you do. But I think, I think we need to recognize that we can come together. God, Jesus changed the whole thing. He, he said, lady, I'm getting ready to shake the world here. And you're getting to be a part of it. Because from now on, people aren't going to be worshiping in a place. They're going to be worshiping in spirit and truth. The woman had a, had a grasp. She said in verse 25. Oh, let me tell you. You got to be real careful about the extremes of spirit and truth. If you work, if you you, spirit and truth has to be a balance. You know, spirit is you, you worship inside. You know, you worship in yourself and you, 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 you look at God and and you focus on him and you turn your heart over to him. Well, and truth is the word of God. So, so if you're all truth and no spirit, you're just, you're just hard hearted. But if you're all spirit, and no truth. You're out there. You're bringing snakes to church. <laughs> I mean, you're doing whatever comes to mind, and you got to have spirit and truth. It's got to be a balance. So the lady said to him in verse 25, "I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us." I I love this because the lady, you know, here at the end, she she kind of got it. She kind of understood. She said, I, "Yeah, I've heard about the Messiah." I I'm not sure if you're it. I heard about him. She's, she's getting on board. And listen to verse 26. Jesus says, I am he. Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. That's who it is. What an encounter this is. So the gospel overcomes our traditions. So I, I want to, I'm, I'm about done. I want to finish. You finish to get you out of your own time. The gospel can overcome any barrier. I I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that as church people, as Christians, as believers, that there are no barriers to gospel. Stop. If we have a barrier in our church, if it's, if it's resources or people or if it's, if it's opposition from our government or if it's whatever it is, the gospel can overcome that. There's no, there's nothing that will stop God and His work. This church, the church universal will exist until Christ comes back. Nobody can eliminate it. The, the Roman government said they were going to stamp out the Christian church. And in 270 years, half of the known world was Christians and the Romans were gone. The gospel grows. There's nothing it, it will not stop for. But I want to tell you, in our churches, a lot of us are satisfied with lost people. We we look at lost people like the Samaritan woman and we say, Okay, I'm I'm okay, I'm kind of indifferent to that. We we've gotta open up our hearts to that. Uh, we we've gotta we we've gotta sometimes go out of our way. We we've gotta make maybe maybe we go a shorter route or maybe we go a longer route, but we've gotta put some people in our route that need the gospel. That's our job. That's our work as a church. That's what Community First is all about. To put ourselves in the way. We can't just go down there and sit inside the building anymore. We can sit inside the building here. We're going to be going out. We've got to go out and find lost people. That's what Christ commanded us to do. But the gospel will overcome all those obstacles. I want you to, I want you to recognize the power that Christ has. To overcome any barrier. To overcome any prejudice. To overcome any kind of failure. And I'll, I want you most of all to recognize it in your own life. I want you to know that if you're not with Christ right now, that he desires you. He, he went and sat down with this woman at a well. She had a personal encounter with the God of the universe. And he wants that with you. He, he doesn't care about your background. He knows it. He doesn't care about anything that separates you from the church or from the gospel. He knows that too. He doesn't care about any barrier. But he went to the cross and died for you and me. I want you to know that and understand that. And I, and, and so our invitation to you is that whatever, whatever separates you from this gospel, set it aside and come to him. Let me pray with you. God, thank you for your word. Speak to us and our hearts in this time of commitment. Use this Lord for your kingdom. In Jesus name we pray.